This is a coffee. Mm. When I'm at a coffee shop, sometimes I'll order just this, a plain coffee. And then I get a question. You've probably heard it. Room for cream? When I first heard that, I have to admit, I was a little cynical. Was it a corporate ploy to give you a little less coffee so they could increase their profits? When you multiply that little bit of saved coffee over thousands of coffee cups, that could be a substantial savings for the company. But then I thought, nah, this is legit. It's a good question. See, if I like cream in my coffee, if cream is important to me, I have got to make room for it. You can probably anticipate where I'm going to go with this. We make room for the things that are most important to us. It's so true. So if you've come to believe in God, could there be anything more important than making room for Him? In his letter to the Philippians, the Apostle Paul wrote that because he found Jesus, he didn't hold on to his human accomplishments and status. He said things like, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Paul's faith in Jesus cost him personally in a big way, but he counted that as little cost in light of gaining a relationship with Jesus. I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, he said, in order that I may gain Christ. His relationship with Jesus consumed him. God, Paul would say, is the priority of life. The vitality, the quality of life that we desire and are created to live in, it's in him, Jesus. Making room for God is the best, most important thing we can possibly do. Okay, so maybe you agree, making room for God makes sense, but you probably resonate with the reality that it is much easier said than done. When I ask the question, how are you doing? It's not unusual to get an answer that goes, good, busy. In the 1930s, economist John Maynard Keynes looked into the future and said, our grandchildren will work around three hours a day, and that only because they want to. He predicted that because economic and technological progress had been so significant, it was at that time reducing the number of hours people had to work. Their optimism seemed warranted. Social psychologists began to fret, whatever would people do with all their free time? Well, they need not have worried. 90 years later, we are busy. Ask the question, how are you? Good. Busy. Often along with busy is a sense of loss of control, a fear that I'm failing, I'm dropping balls at work, I'm not the parent or spouse I should be. When busy is seldom equated with joy, it is not the kind of busy that should be allowed to infringe on our lives unquestioned. How are you? Good. Busy. Let's ask why. The first answer that comes to mind is usually an immediate contributor. My job, my kids, where I am at right now. And I get there are seasons that are more demanding of our time, but I'm thinking there is more to it. If we don't think about this issue and do something about it, being overly busy just won't go away. 25 years ago, Dr. Richard Swenson wrote a book entitled Margin. He spoke directly to the busyness of life back then. He said the conditions of modern day living devour margin. Swenson treated a lot of people whose lives he could see were affected by this busyness in such a negative way, he went on to say the disease of marginless living is insidious, widespread and violent. Often when we say, I am busy, 
We say it as if we have no choice. And that puts us in the position of helplessness. Is that true? Do we have no choice in the matter? Are we destined to just be busy? In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Dr. Swenson wrote that there are great cultural forces at play to keep us busy. Pursuit of progress, material gain, social validation. In light of these, busyness can be held as a badge of honor. But we do have a choice. And that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is inviting us without shame or guilt to choose him. To come to him and in him find the rest that we need. Come unto me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Doesn't that sound good? When Jesus uses the word rest, it has a lot of history behind it. In the Old Testament, God gave his people a commandment to rest. It was called Sabbath. It's right there in the Ten Commandments, which are listed two times in the Old Testament. In Exodus chapter 20, it says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. In Exodus, the reason for the Sabbath is rooted in God's creation. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The commandment is repeated in Deuteronomy chapter 5, and the basis given for it there is God's deliverance. The Israelites had been slaves for generations. Imagine working every day as a slave. A slave doesn't necessarily get a day off, ever. Maybe you can relate. But freed from slavery, God commanded them to stop. That's what the word Sabbath means. Stop. Cease. Once a week and take the whole day off. Like, really take it off. No work. One day in every seven. It was a rhythm of rest. And on that day, remember what God had done for them how they were slaves set free, how they experienced miracles, the plagues they saw but were spared from, how God took them through the Red Sea, his goodness. This Sabbath was to be a gift for God's people to make room in their lives for him, a day to enjoy what God had made, a day to celebrate his salvation. That's life-giving. A while back, I was a father of three teenage children when I felt called to further my education in studying the Bible. So I began a season when I was doing full-time studies at a master's level and working in a business 20 hours a week. There was little margin in my life. I couldn't afford much social time. If we went out for coffee with friends, it wasn't long and I would feel the internal pressure of what it was costing me in time. How I'd have to stay up late that night to get my schoolwork done. It wasn't fun. Somewhere in the craziness of all that, I felt challenged by the Holy Spirit to take a regular Sabbath. Sometimes you just know that God is speaking to you and that what he is saying isn't what you would think would be best. He wanted me to stop regularly, one day a week. I struggled with the idea. If I could barely get everything done working and studying seven days a week, how was I ever going to get things done in six? But I chose to listen and guess what happened? Yeah, 
It all got done. And I was a different person, refreshed and able to finish a grueling but rich season in my life without crashing. It had been a choice, a choice rooted in faith. It took faith for the people of Israel that God would provide better for them in six if they refused to work the seventh day. And it can take faith for us. This fall, I was in Jerusalem, and you cannot escape the Sabbath. From Friday night sundown to all of Saturday, buses don't run, shops are closed, you are forced to stop. Lynn Babb, who's a Christian from Seattle, for a time moved to Israel. She was forced to experience this weekly and in the end said, the Sabbath has been a great gift to me by slowing me down and inviting me to experience God's rest, not just analyze it. Keeping a Sabbath has taught me the deep truths of God's love as much as any faith discipline I have observed as an adult. It has shaped my heart, opening me to receive God's gifts more fully. The Sabbath has inscribed God's grace on my soul in a way I can barely describe. Now to a group of slaves set free, the Sabbath had been a gift. But by Jesus' time, Sabbath keeping had become a burden. The Jews had developed a binding interpretation of what constituted breaking the Sabbath in a teaching called the Halakha. If the law given by Moses said a man should not work on the Sabbath, the Halakha described in detail what exactly constituted an act of working. It's work to carry a burden. It's unlawful to lift food equal in weight to a dried fig. It's unlawful to lift ink in your pen enough to write two letters of the alphabet. A woman's brooch in her hair could be unlawful. That's a weight you are carrying on the Sabbath, even lifting your child. The Sabbath should have been a delight, but it had become a burden. And it's in this environment that we read Jesus' invitation to rest. God's rest won't be found in rule keeping. God's rest will be found in the person of Jesus. Now, as you continue reading in Matthew, the next story makes this so clear. In Matthew chapter 12, it says, At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. When the Pharisees saw this, they were ticked off. The disciples were doing this on the Sabbath. It's not lawful, they said. That is, it's against the halakha. Jesus schools them. Not only does he show them precedent in the Old Testament on the basis of need and religious duty, but he says to them something greater then their whole religious system is right in front of them. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus' discussion ultimately lands not so much on what constitutes right or wrong activity as it is to bring focus on the who of the Sabbath, the one who gives the Sabbath its true intent, Jesus, the Lord, the Lord, the creator of and giver and fulfiller of the Sabbath. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon, celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. A Friday sundown to Saturday sundown rest was never all there was to be. It foreshadowed Jesus, and it finds its fulfillment in the one who will give us true rest, the rest you've always wanted. When we make room for him, we make room for the rest God intends and the rest we've been looking for. See, the problem of our busyness is deeper than the forces of culture and the demands of work or family. And its solution is bigger than a weekend away and much greater than a vacation. Kevin Offner writes in an article, why are we so busy? I've learned that our fast-paced lifestyles 
are not primarily due to external factors. External factors are more of the symptom than the cause. We are not restless because we are busy. We are busy because we are restless. Our busyness may give us an artificial sense of being legit. It helps us to feel important, needed, and necessary. But often it goes on. For Christians, we say we believe in grace. We say we believe that God's love is unconditional and that our justification in Him is not based on our works. And yet, in practice, we live as though we've been abandoned or orphaned. We're convinced we must work in order to be approved, just like the Pharisees. To come to Jesus is to learn that we are unconditionally loved, that we don't have to succeed, achieve, earn, accomplish anything to somehow be validated in God's eyes, your own eyes, or anyone else's eyes. You are valued because Jesus values you. And in the presence of Jesus, the things that have previously stirred us to be so busy lose their urgency. Jesus says, come to me. You don't have to work to get it together before you come. He doesn't say, all those who are nearly perfect and without issues and have it together. No, those who know they have a need. You've worked hard and are tired. You've just got to acknowledge your need for him. You need his rest. Come. How do we do that? We make room for him. Time for him. We stop. You give yourself a rest so that you can experience his. Now, here's some of the things I would recommend in order to make room for Jesus. Have a regular rhythm of rest, like one day a week, but also slots in a day, a time when you can stop to focus on God. Contemplate God. Don't stop just to veg in front of media. Contemplate who God is and what he has made you to be. Journaling. I have found journaling to be really helpful to focus my thoughts and resist distractions. Converse with God. Read scripture without hurry. Listen unhurried. Find alone time. Some people call this solitude. And stop the noise. Technology is a double-edged sword, isn't it? There's potential for so much good, but it also has the potential to be a huge distraction, moving to addiction. Hands up, cell phone beside the bed. Hands up, first thing in the morning, check the phone. We've got to unplug from technology for a day or a few hours and recover some of the time and space to be present with Jesus. Embrace limits. God has made us to operate within limits. Every night's sleep is a reminder you have limits and need a rest. Aging bodies are a reminder that you can't run full speed forever. Do nothing for a while. Live unplanned, unstructured for a bit. This is super hard for me. And celebrate the things you have your relationship with God, people in your life, the freedoms we have, possessions, health. Experience creation. Go for a hike, cycle, garden, whatever gives you life. Recreate. Have fun. Play bocce, paint, write, anything but golf. Kidding. But only play golf if it's life-giving. But do these things with a spirit of gratitude, enjoying God's presence in what you are doing. Sleep in. Take a nap. Eat slowly. Slow down, pay attention, invest in a relationship without hurry. Overall, be creative and address physical, emotional, and your spiritual well-being. Give yourself a rest so that you can experience his. In my family, there's a legendary story about my cousin that has stuck with this. I'm not sure 
if all the details are accurate and what has been embellished. But it goes like this. When she was younger, she was driving a car from Calgary to Edmonton, Alberta. As she was driving, her warning lights were coming on, and I believe it was making noises. It had something to do with lack of oil in her oil-burning vehicle. Not knowing what to do, and scared of the consequences really, she turned the radio up loud and just kept on driving. Well, you know that would end badly. So where are your gauges at today? Emotionally, physically, spiritually, and what are you doing to pay attention to them? Come to me. Take my yoke, my teaching upon you, and learn from me, Jesus said. And it will be life-giving. Room for cream? Room for God? <laughs>